0: Hi and welcome to Friends of Brother Adam. My name is Dennis and I'll be your host for today. Um, Today we're going to be talking about B9 number 28, demonstrating understanding of basic bee biology and behavior for the certified beekeeping technician. And We're going to be pulling our uh, material today from the British Columbia Ministry of Agriculture. Usually I don't use governmental sources, however Uh, This particular course does come from (laughs) Ministry of Education, so uh, we're going to be uh, going over a few things, and uh, I'll be adding a few things as we go along, so let's jump right in. Uh, Today, um, we're going to be covering uh, scouting and foraging, uh, distances and patterns, bee orientation, bee flight lines. Uh, how bees find nectar and pollen sources, role and scent, role of scent and vision and bee memory in foraging, bee communication, bee memory, bee sense of time, hoarding, insects, uh, collection of nectar, nectar transfer, storing behavior, drying, ripening, and capping of honey. So a <laughs> whole lot of stuff to be going in today's podcast. Insect pollinators, pollinators including honey bees coevolved with flowering plants over millions of years plants developed floral parts with increasingly specialized features to attract visiting insects Who would in turn distribute pollen grains and optimize a plant's reproductive capabilities. These wasp-like insects underwent physiological changes to take advantage of the nutritional benefits offered by flowering plants. Physical adaptations were augmented by changes in foraging and nesting behavior that proved mutually beneficial for the flora and fauna. Some of the physical adaptations of the honeybee include sense organs, vision. So each compound eye is spherical and comprised of some 6,300 cone-shaped facets or eyes. Bees can easily distinguish high contrast shapes and patterns. The visual spectrum of the honeybee has shifted towards the shorter wavelengths, enabling it to detect ultraviolet while red with its longer wavelength, appears as a dull gray. Bees are particularly sensitive to blue, yellow, and blue-green colors, and even though bees can detect light intensity, only 1 as well as humans. The sensitivity to ultraviolet and polarized light enables the honeybee to observe the sun under cloudy conditions. Its spherical-shaped sh- eyes allow it to measure angles accurately between the relative positions of the sun, the food source, and the nest. These field observations are then interpreted and communicated with uh, other bees inside the hive through a dance. Scout bees can detect their fellow worker bees on or to the location of the food source, negating the need for each to search for their individual um, food source. Unlike most other insect pollinators, the adaptation of communication has enabled honeybees to utilize floral sources of a large area. As a result, the honeybee colonies can attain a biomass at the height of a season far greater than any other pollinating insect. Bumblebees and all solitary bees do not communicate with others, and hence each individual relies on its own foraging success. The foraging range of these pollinators is limited to a comparatively small area. Odor The honeybee's olfactory sense is estimated to be 40 times better than that of a human. It plays a critical role in locating food sources and communication in and outside the nest. Some 5,000 to 6,000 olfactory detectors are on, on each antenna. Taste. Taste is detected through the mouth parts and forelegs. Bees have a a limited range of taste and many substances detected by humans are tasteless to bees within the narrow range of substances they can taste. Bees display a high sensitivity to sugar. Sugar solutions as low as two percent are detectable. Foraging bees are not interested unless the sugar concentration is 30% or higher. Now I would say that probably comes with the caveat that if they're going through a dearth they don't care (laughs) what percentage it is, but yeah, this is true. Uh, Sense of time. Bees are known to be time sensitive, communication inside the nest to indicate the location of a site relative to the sun has been observed over time even when the sun's position progressed below the horizon the bee's awareness of time is also important in determining the time of nectar secretion and commencement of foraging so we all probably know, and if you don't, well this is a good way to learn. Um, We all know that uh, flowers don't give off nectar all times of the day. Uh, Some species of flowers give off nectar twice a day, or some give off nectar uh, during one period of time. So a lot of times it, it happens to be that when the uh, plant starts warming up and the photosynthesis starts happening at a high rate the plants put out its nectar and attracts the bees during that time and then it closes down as the day starts to cool and uh, the bees no longer come so um, also another thing that happens with the uh, uh, flowers is that they end up not um, giving off nectar after they have been fertilized. So once a bee visits and deposits the uh, uh, pollen and uh, the pollen goes down into the flower and pollinates that flower, then there's absolutely no reason for the plant to put out any more um, nectar. So uh, bees favor plants that have a larger amount of flowers to them so that they have lots of uh, chances to collect nectar. So let's jump into foraging, even though I've already kind of sort of (laughs) done that. Economics of foraging. Um, Foraging requires energy and the honeybee's evolution as to where what And how long to forage is all related to the economics of energy consumption and the net gain of food for the colony. For example, foraging bees may not access a high quantity or quality of food source when its collection requires energy expenditure exceeding that of the energy value of the food source generally bees fly only as far as necessary to secure an acceptable food source from which there is a net gain factors that include or influence foraging behavior and determine profitability such as weather wind temperature and sunlight Um, the distance to food source from the hive including differences in elevation food quality So, concentration of sugar, protein content of the pollen, and quality of the nectar or pollen. Foraging range. Bees are known to fly as far as 12 kilometers or 8 miles. Usually, we tell people 5 kilometers, but. Um, yeah, this is pretty interesting. It usually, uh, But usually foraging is limited to food sources within three kilometers. Approximately 75% of foraging bees fly within one kilometer, while young field bees only fly within the distance of a few hundred meters. Foraging fidelity. Foraging bees tend to limit their visits to a single species of plant during each trip. This behavior adaptation is critically important for the success of pollination since it assures the transfer of pollen from one plant to the other plant in the same species. In commercial crops, foraging consistency is essential for optimizing seed set and fruit development. Individual foragers will acquire a sample through scouting in the morning and tend to fly to the same floral source as long as it remains profitable. Bees will shift to another plant species of the nectar or if the nectar or pollen fails. even then, memory will cause these foragers to return several times and recheck in, in the areas of with great floral diversity and small plantings. A higher percentage of foraging bees will visit different kinds of plants during the same trip. This would account for mixed pollen loads of returning bees. And One of the other things that we do know um, from some of the other experiments is that bees tend to like certain types of plants, so they'll get a taste for clover. And if the clover is done and over with, they'll just sit back and do some of the things in the house, housework and stuff like that. And they won't necessarily go out when they know that the the nectar from that particular plant is not flowing Um, and uh, they get their likes and dislikes. And uh, this is good to know as well when your bees are pollinating crops such as um, canola because uh, the canola honey tends to crystallize. And um, so if your bees are set on a canola field and you're waiting for them to go out and um, harvest the canola crop, um, you can be assured that as long as the canola is flowering and giving out nectar, that they will be hitting that almost all the time, all the way through. So you'll be able to change out your um, honey supers uh, more often so that you can get it at home, get it spun out, and get it into uh, a container before it crystallizes. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, a lot of times uh, we beekeepers don't tend to um, harvest that particular honey because it causes a lot of issues. <laughs> we get uh, people who don't really understand honey, um, and uh, if we're, you know, mixing Uh, honeys together and creating uh, honeys from five different flowers let's say Um, and uh, we're just grouping all the honey together because we've got just a little of this and a little of that Um, you'll get different rates of separation and um, customers who are (laughs) um, looking for those scam artists out there they will pick up on your honey changing uh, um, its uh, shape at different rates because it's got different nectars in there and they'll accuse you of uh, adulterating your honey when actually it's just honey of several different flowers and you'll get liquid on the top and crystallized down below it just means the honeys have settled out and done what they're going to do so (laughs) but uh, yeah so a a lot of times if you're going to be doing um canola honey it's a good idea just to have just canola honey there that way it doesn't uh, separate and and cause all sorts of issues most times when that happens and and i i have somebody come back and complain i just hand them a new jar from a different uh uh, flower and i say oh so very sorry and i take that jar and feed it back to the bees because We humans can't use it after, after uh, you've handed it out to somebody. Uh, your your uh, food security has been lost. And, and so in order to not lose that uh, um, cost, you would feed it back to the bees and allow them to process it and put it back into another uh, comb for you. So anyways, back onto this, um, speed of work. Bees visit up to 40 flowers per minute, depending on floral type, nectar availability and weather conditions. Floral visitation rate by honeybees of some important crops, such as apricots, 10 seconds, apples, 68 seconds, cherries, 82 seconds, raspberries, uh, 16, or 116 seconds, black currant, 134 seconds. Uh, the longer time period and the greater nectar availability it takes twice as much time to collect a load of nectar compared to a load of pollen honeybees are foraging generalists and are capable of using a wide range of floral sources many insect pollinators are specialists and only visit certain floral sources floral uh, foraging specialization of an insect means its ability to optimize the food source, resulting from uh, or resulting in improved pollination for the plant. For example, bumblebees evolved in bog environments of temperate zones where the principal nectar and pollen sources bloom during cool and wet spring conditions. Pollens of these bogs are mostly moist and sticky. Bumblebees have developed long proboscis tongues, which are highly pubescent, hairy, and forage under inclement weather. They are capable of buzzing while on the flower to cause the release of pollens. As such, bumblebees have proven highly efficient in crops such as blueberry, cranberry, and blackberry. Uh, They also use the bumblebees in the um, greenhouses, and uh, this is because they don't fly the windows and just sit there at the windows and bump against them. They uh, know exactly where their floral source is and they go and they get the pollen and they're more pollen centric anyways and so they fly directly to it and directly back to the hive. So (laughs) they're really good in the uh, um, greenhouses. Temperature conditions for honeybee foraging. Below 8 degrees Celsius, there's no foraging going on. 8 degrees to 16 degrees, there are some activity. Um, bees generally come out at plus 10. So um, 16 degrees till 30 degrees is optimal conditions. And then above 30 degrees Celsius, a reduction of foraging uh, and an increase of water collection. And that's because they take the water into the uh, um, beehive and they essentially make... Uh, swamp cooler type idea inside the beehive. They fan in air and they cool down their beehive. Um, so not only do they tell their friends about where it is, they also um, tell their friends of changing conditions in the hives and they will change their activities. Speed of flight, loaded bee, approximately 25 kilometers per hour or 15 miles per hour on average. Empty bee leaving the hive, approximately 20 kilometers an hour or 12.5 miles per hour on average. Uh, Increased wind reduces foraging activity. A wind at the speed of 40 kilometers per hour or 25 miles per hour, foraging will stop. Um, Foraging also stops during rain. And uh, as it gets closer to the evening, uh, the number of trips per day, the number of trips per day will depend on various conditions, including weather, forageability, strength of colony, etc. In general, 5 to 15 trips per day are made, while water, well, a water collector may take as many as 100 trips per day. The nectar flow is the period when bees forage and collect nectar to sustain the colony. A nectar flow is the period when there is abundance of nectar production that the bees gather surplus beyond the immediate needs of the colony, which is converted into honey and stored in the combs. To optimize the nectar resource as Of an area, the beekeeper must be familiar with the vegetation, its condition, and blooming time. So one of the things that we do as beekeepers is we keep a, well, a journal or an electronic journal and every time we see a flower that is blooming in our area we need to be taking a picture of it, we need to be um, noticing when the flower opens, um, and we need to Um, Some beekeepers will actually pick a flower off and taste it to see how sweet it is. Um, We will also wait until the flower closes and uh, um, goes away and then record that as well. and as you're going along and as the as the years progress, you will start getting all the floral sources in your area and you will be able to know at what time, generally, your bees will be hitting that particular flower. Another thing that beekeepers do in order to figure that out is they sit in front of the beehive and they watch what pollen is coming in and the color that pollen is coming in. Um, they, uh, Also um, strip the bees of the pollen by using a a pollen (laughs) um, addition to the hive that strips the pollen off the bees legs and drops it into a basket. You can then take that pollen and grade it against a pollen uh, palette so it shows you the color of all the pollens and you'll be able to figure out a little bit better what type of plant it's coming from. All right, so nectar and pollen sources are located by any foraging bee and are limited to the scout bees. After finding a valuable food source, a bee will return to the colony and communicate its finding to other bees through a bee dance. Carl von Furch first described this form of communication expressing direction, distance, and food quality. Uh, Gathering nectar... A bee's specialized tongue is called a proboscis. It is a suction pump. The nectar passes through the esophagus into the nectar sac, where the valve prevents the nectar from passing into the digestive stomach or ventriculus. The nectar sac is essentially a widening of the esophagus and functions as a collecting chamber for the liquid foods during tr- transportation. The weight of a full nectar sac may be as much as 90% of the body weight of the bee. During the return trip to the hive, saliva is added to the nectar which contains uh, Invertase enzyme Invertase reduces the complex sugars into simple sugars, which is part of the conversion process from nectar to honey. Should the bee require more energy for the flight home, the valve between the nectar sac and the ventriculus will open, allowing nectar to pass into the digestive tract. A field bee carrying only nectar will fly with its rear legs wide apart. And I don't know why that's important. (laughs) So, handling, a ne- handling nectar on the return to the hive. After the return to the hive, the forager presses the nectar onto the house bees. She opens her mandibles with her proboscis retracted, and a drop of liquid appears at the base of the glossa, where the house bees extend their pr- pr- proboscis and fully and sucks up the drop. The speed of the food transmission and processing is determined by various factors including temperature age of the bees colony strength and its food reserves and the total colony intake of nectar and pollen during a strong nectar flow the partly ripened honey is stored in cells of the comb immediately or after a few transfers from bee to bee during the moderate or weak flow the food is passed on to and by many bees before it is stored. The greater number of bees in the chain, the richer the ripe honey will be in secretions and hence its enzymes. Um, The other thing they do is they will um, place it in uh, a cell and put several drops in the cell and allow it to dry a little bit. And we'll be talking about that with the ripening of honey, which is next. Um, partially processed nectar or raw honey contains too much water. And that is true. Um, water is removed through evaporation through the ripening process, which involves two phases. A bee actively involved in the processing of nectar first pumps out the contents for nectar sac into a flat drop on the underside of the proboscis, which then she draws up again, back and forth, the action is repeated rapidly for 15 or 20 minutes. The liquid thereby is exposed to the warm air of the hive causing evaporation. In this way, the bees half ripened honey containing about 50 to 60% of the maximum 70% of the dry substance or maximum 70% of dry substance. The second passive phase of the honey ripening involves the deposit of the half-ripened honey in small droplets on cell walls, or in in a on in a thin film on the cell floor. As a rule, one quarter to one third of the cell is filled, but during a strong flow, there is a lack of space. One half or three quarters of the cell is filled straight away. Normally when the honey is nearly ripe, the bees move it again, and the cells are then filled up to three quarters of their capacity. The final ripening takes one to three days depending on the water content when the honey is first put into the cells and the level to which the cells are filled the amount of air movement achieved and the temperature uh, and relative humidity under good conditions the percentage of water in the honey can be reduced to below 20 percent in about four days the rate of evaporation from cells is one-quarter full its or is three times that of cells filled three quarters full. In, when adequate comb space is available, few cells are more than half full as moisture is evaporated by bees. Bees fill cells, leaving empty cells to receive more green nectar. It is important to have adequate empty comb space during the nectar flow to prevent crowding. So let's pause here and just have a little talk about that particular item. When you put your bees into the hive and they are brand new bees and you don't have any wax in the hive and you just placed uh, the plastic forms in the hive that have the little etchings, Um, they can't do very much as far as storing honey or nectar because um, they don't have the huge cells to be stored in. And wax takes uh, a ratio of one to six. That's one unit of wax to six units of honey. So um, (laughs) when you're very first putting them in, you really shouldn't expect too much from the bees Um, they will be doing their best to be putting honey or honey away however they also need to use lots of that honey that's coming in to produce the wax you can alleviate this problem by either um, purchasing already waxed uh, forms or using actual wax forms instead of plastic forms. Um, you can also help them out by feeding them sugar water prior to the flow, and they take that sugar water and make uh, honey out of the sugar water. And uh, because they're doing that, they're taking six parts of sugar water, which is a lot cheaper than honey and making one part of wax so it behooves us to be feeding these poor little bees in the early spring in order to improve the amount of wax that's or increase the amount of wax that's going into the hive Um, and bees are more likely to wax frames early in the spring um, just because that's the time when they are most uh, energized to do so because they know what's coming next, the flow is coming next and they want to be able to take advantage of that. So pollen collecting and storage pollen is dislodged from the anther of the flower and adheres to the branched hairs of the bee. The tongue and mandibles jaws are often used to lick and bite. The anther. Uh, pollen becomes stuck to the mouthpieces and is moistened while the bee is resting or hovering in the air. She removes the pollen from her body and transfers it to the corbicula, the pollen basket, or of her rear legs. The process involves all of the bees three pairs of legs the wet pollen is removed from the mouth parts head and antenna by four legs small amounts of the nectar are used to moisten the pollen mixture the second pair of legs or mid legs comb pollen from the underside of the thorax and receive it from the fore legs the inside of the basi tarsi on the rear legs contain combs Uh, which remove the pollen from the brushes of the mid-legs by rapidly rubbing the hind legs. Pollen is gradually moved up to the opening between the brassy tarsus and tibia of the rear leg. The rake of the opposite leg will then force the pollen into the corbicula, or pollen basket, the pollen load contains up to 10% nectar, which is necessary for packing. So if you wanted to know how they did it, (laughs) nectar. (laughs) The hive pollen is removed from the rear legs by a spike on the mid legs and is placed in cells often the head is used to pack pollen in the cells honey is added to maintain the pollen quality and the final product is bee bread so as a extra little bonus here um, i'm going to be talking about something that uh, beekeepers used to do um it's, it's they call it hunting wild honey now They sometimes do this with bumblebees and they sometimes do this with regular bees. Um, And um, (laughs) the process involves baiting the bees and then either following the bee line that they make or um, baiting the bees in a box that is specially made to be able to trap the bee. And then after you trap the bee, you have to have quick and nimble fingers to um, catch the bee in the smaller box that you've trapped them in and then attach a small colored thread to its leg and because it's got the colored thread, it flies a whole lot slower and it's easier to track uh, track and As you remember, we just talked about that bees tend to fly fairly fast fifteen to 25 kilometers an hour. So if you slow it down, then you have a greater chance of being able to um, catch up with it and follow it home. So we're going to be reading um, uh, an article about hunting wild honey around Seattle. And it's a, it's a rather uh, older article, so, <laughs> but um, they use a particular kind of uh, beeline hunting and so we will just progress with the article. Uh, Seattle architect finds rare sport in tracking bees to their hives in the forest. The unique system employed to locate delicious sweets drawn from the richest wild flowers. Wild honey in the native Indian long has contended its natural foe of ailing hivers and the um, and the like the white man and I'm very sorry this uh, this article is uh, kind of hard to read in places because it's a scanned in article the white man on the other hand although admitting to certain sub qualities of the sweet is not as enthusiastic about its supposed potency as a remedy. Medical science, he points out, is not to be denied, and the medical science finds but a small place for honey in its process of physical repairs." So apparently the the natives tended to have honey as a medicine, and the white man not so much during this time. Uh, That was the situation when Fred Steffen, a Seattle architect who would rather stalk a bee than golf or hunt or fish, set his mind at work on the subject. The trouble is, he said, we take the Indians word too literally. The remedial measure comes More through the physical exercise taken by the person on a honey hunt than through the eating of honey. (laughs) Lovely scientific reasoning. Climbing over logs, bending over, skipping here and there all the time, breathing pure air will drive away any ailment, he said, causing primarily by physical lethargy and will reduce any waistline gulf may be effective, but honey hunting has it beaten. It is not for any such reason, however, Mr. Stephen or admits that honey hunting, a pastime as old as Asia, where the bee is said to have originated, has sprung to the fore in the northwest. Rather, it is because of an apparent increase to the number of bee colonies. Bee colonize where food is the most plentiful, this is in the logged off and burned over areas which year by year become larger and more numerous as the logger swings his axe. In this cremated ruins of what was left of the great forest, there grows in profusion the fragrant wild fire flower, the nectar of which is highly esteemed by the bees. These flowers, um, the bees lay in great stores of honey during the summer. With the arrival of autumn, every well-organized bee colony is supposed to have stored enough food to last through the winter. But even so, the industrious little workers are ever ready to do a little bit more. That is the opportunity of the honey hunter. Honey hunting is a thoroughly systematic process the would-be hunter who scrambles about the woods expecting to follow a bee to his colony when he sees him buzzing from the flower to flower will be much disappointed. Finding honey is more painstaking if less fatiguing procedure than that. Mr. Steffen who has had considerable success in hunting honey in the Washington woods gives some more valuable pointers to the to the knob to the beginner <laughs> um, the best time to find honey catches is in the early fall when the flowers have gone but when it is sterile fairly warm once a good territory has been found mr. Stefan says that says are a bait box and a jar of honey or sugar syrup an ox netting for the face and head, gloves, good walking legs, sharp eyesight, and patience. I guess that would be an axe, sorry. An axe netting for the face and head, gloves, and good walking legs, sharp eyesight, and patience. The first move he makes after deciding upon a location is to place on a prominent log, the bait box which is merely a tray containing a cone smeared with honey or syrup. Then he just waits. Bees having a very keen sense of smell for anything sweet will detect the presence of the sweet fluid in their presence and uh, in their district and set forth to find it. Usually only the one bee will come at first. After taking as much syrup as he can, carry, the bee will go back to his colony. On his next trip with him, he'll bring two other bees. Invariably, Mr. Steffen says each bee will bring with him two more bees on his second trip until a veritable army of the little workers is busy looting the syrup to the colony. I have seen them crowd about the bait box and on it until there were so many that they had difficulty in working said Mr. Stefan, but it is not necessary for the honey hunter to wait that long. Just a few bees are enough to establish the hunter line to the colony. When the line of flight of the bees has been determined, the hunter moves forward along the line of his box of the syrup replenished if the bees have made off with much of it. If the line is well established, he may move ahead for as much as a quarter of a mile, but if in doubt, sometimes only a few yards. He must be careful not to stray from the bee line. If he does, the bees will have difficulty in finding the bait or may lose it altogether. The bees either will return to the box for more syrup, if it is in the line of their flight to their colony. Sometimes I have found a cache within 80 minutes after setting out the jar, Mr. Steffen said, but on the other hand, I have been as long as two days in the effort. Ordinarily, bees will smell the syrup if it is within two miles of their home, but rarely if it is farther away. For this reason, knowledge of the proximity of the beehive is vital to the hunter. When a series of moves along the line of flight the tree or log in which the bees have made their home has been ascertained the work of procuring the honey begins experienced hunters usually scorn the use of gloves or netting to cover unprotected parts of their bodies from bee sting but do not recommend the beginner this lack of regard for the anger of disturbed workers (laughs) Uh, donning these means uh, of protection, the hunter begins to chop into the tree log which the honey is stored. If the honey is located in a position of an upright tree or stump too high, it may be reached by or it may be reached by ordinary means. It is beat, it is best to fall the timber if it is too high in the tree however the hunt may as well be given up as lost as the heavy crash to the ground will mash most of the honey with splintered wood and earth making it impossible this is the situation however that rests with the hunter some have been known to climb tall trees after the manner of a high climbers in logging camps and thus procure the honey. At the first blow of the axe some of the bees will leave their home to investigate the cause of the disturbance. Angered they will make free use of their stingers. But when they find that their efforts are fruitless to drive away the enemy they will return to their store and take as much honey in their bodies as they can carry. In the Or it is the instinct to prepare against calamity. When stuffed with honey, they do not sting, but crawl about and swarm, and await developments when the hunter threw off his net and gloves and work or and then the hunter may throw off his net and gloves and work unmolested. After having chopped his way into the honey store, he can remove it in chunks and place it in pails or other receptacles that he has provided for the purpose then the humane thing to do is to kill the bees for they will die shortly anyways having been deprived of their food heartless oh not so much as it seems says mr stiffen bees only live about six weeks during the summer season and those that have been that have stored the greater part of the honey for the winter use use never will survive to feed on it anyways they merely stored it for the future generation. Bees live about six months during their dormant season. It is these bees largely that will die slowly from starvation if one does not kill them. Bees, by the way, permit no ailing members among them. Humans build hospitals to care for their sick, asylums for the mentally deficient, and homes for the indigent. But when a bee shows signs of losing its usefulness it, to its community, its fellows take them out to the door of their homes and thrust them out. Sulfur smoke is held to be the best method of putting an end to the bees. Contrary to popular belief, there is no so-called tame or wild bees. There is wild and tame honey, but bees are all alike, whether they live in a hollow of a tree or in in the woods, or in a hive at the apiary. The characteristics, physical and in habits, are the same, but the honey procured from the hollow tree will be tasty with age as old wine will be from wildflowers whose perfume is the sweetest. That makes it a lot different from the honey one usually gets at the grocery store It is the motive behind the hunt, said Mr. Stefan. Persons who do not desire to go into the woods every time they wish a supply of honey may take it with them, or may take with them a bee trap similar to a fly trap. Some catch bees in it and start a hive in their backyard. (laughs) Uh, This old stuff is interesting. Um, From his backyard, Ranch near Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Emil Nenderfelt ships. Oh, sorry. I guess that's the next uh, the next article which we don't need to read. <laughs> um, so there are some interesting uh, uh, ideas here that I don't necessarily prescribe to, um, and uh, this article comes. The pictures look like this article comes from I would say the 1920s or 30s, so um, and of course that's usually when they utilized sulfur smoke from the 20s and before to kill the bees, Um, so that gives us an idea about the time that this is that this comes from. But uh, it's really interesting to see what they do. And uh, you know, if you are hunting for honeybees and want to get yourself a free hive, you can do this and be able to catch them. I personally would uh, rescue the bees from the uh, log or tree and I would put them to work in my apiary. and I would do my ultimate best to try and, and get the queen because you're going to be getting uh, genetics from uh, uh, hives that have probably been in the wild for some time. So you will have survivor genetics, which is something nowadays that we we value more than what they valued back then. Anyways, just a little goodie at the end of our learning for today. Um, When you uh, utilize this method but then you tie a string to the leg, it makes it so that the bees fly a lot slower and you don't want the uh, little thread that you're tying to its leg. Um, You probably use thread that you'd use to sew on a button or something like that, just, just sewing thread. And you'd want to make it a bright color so that you could see it from a little distance away Um, and you got to be quick with the grab otherwise you're going to uh, find yourself on the uh, bad end of a bee and get yourself a nice little sting so it takes some experience and some some effort but uh, it's rewarding of course because not only do you get uh, wild honey but then of course you also get um, the opportunity to have your uh, beehive with the genetics that you probably want the survivor stock anyways thanks for listening and uh, hopefully you guys will tune in again and i'm hoping to make up for my uh, lapse from last week this week and uh, um, put out a second uh, podcast this week again. So anyways, have a great day, guys, and we'll talk with you later.